0: Let's just pray for the teaching time. Sure. for me too. Yeah. (laughs) Stretch out your hand to Gordy, would you please? Sweet Jesus. (laughs) They made an ice cream shop out of that name, but we know the truth. (laughs) Lord, I thank you so much for Gordy, for who you've made him to be, for how he just vulnerably brings himself week after week after week. I just pray that we too would be blessed by you this morning for what you've already put on his heart to share with us and that you would just protect him in his vulnerability. Lord, that he would feel upheld by you in this time, guarded, that as he extends yet again, um, that it would just be a comfortable place to be and not a scary place to be. I ask in your name. Amen. Thank you. Awesome. So the first thing I'm going to be talking about loving your enemies, and I thought rather than just talking about it, I would model loving my enemies this morning. Because you know, um, with regards to certain things, I was in Calgary last a couple weeks ago, forced visiting my father. And I attended this fundraiser my sister was putting on for a house building project in Guatemala. And uh, I won a raffle. And unfortunately, the, what I won uh, was quite painful. And so in the spirit of loving my enemy, I would like to offer this to Gordy Guy So Gordy. This is a Calgary Flames hat with Lanny McDonald's signature on it, and this is a genuine NHL puck. There you go. So, uh, just want to say, it hurts, it hurts, but Jesus said to do it, so we're going to do it. (laughs) The caption shall be, love your enemies. (laughs) My two favorite teams are the Calgary Flames and whoever plays the Vancouver Canucks. (laughs) Beautiful. So for those of you on podcast, I just presented a... Canucks, or a Flames hat to Gordy, and um, one time we were going to, a, I think we were going to a game, and the streets were just packed with, with Canucks fans, it was when they were still here at the, the Coliseum, and we had the window down, and Gordy was yelling at the top of his lungs, Canucks suck! So, it's kind of dangerous. Live to tell the story. So, so today um, I want to we're going to continue on this theme of sustainability, a sustainable outward focus and um, at Christmas time, one of the most precious gifts I received uh, among several was this big thick book called Paul by N.T. Wright. and it's N. Wright's, uh uh newest offering and it's a biography on Paul and I Sometimes I read when I have insomnia. So the other night I had insomnia, and I was reading myself to sleep. And I was near the end of the book, and I was struck by how N.T. Wright describes the churches that Paul planted as outward-facing churches. He uses the term outward-facing. So these these churches that Paul planted in the early church were communities that did not exist for themselves they existed they realized they existed for those outside for others they were servant communities and i was so touched by one of the most tangible ways that he gave an example of how the early church was outward focused did you know that one of the ways the early church grew so fast we knew they there was just ge- geometric growth and we always think it was because they were great evangelists. You know, they had the four spiritual laws down, and they healed the sick. And there was some of that. But one of the reasons the early church grew so fast in the early Roman Empire is that infanticide, which is b- baby killing, was rampant in the early em- in the Roman Empire. And, and babies, especially if they were girls, were abandoned at these garbage dumps. So what the early church did with their outward focus is they would come by and see these abandoned girls and they would pick them up and raise them. Now, there was another problem in the Roman Empire at that time, and it was a shortage of women. And as a result, there was was a really slow birth rate. But what happened is because the church was taking these girls in, these girls were raised and there was a lot more eligible women in the church. So a lot more men started coming to the church. And a lot of babies started happening. And even if the men didn't become Christians, the women would disciple the children. And the men would bless them to to be Christians. And often the men did become Christians. And the church exploded. It's a good story, eh? So um, that story gives us kind of the warm fuzzies, but... It's kind of in the spirit of, of Luke who said, uh, everybody matters to God, and, and we like that except when it comes to our enemies. And how, what does that look like? And I'm still getting the flashing here, so I think I'll just turn around and look at this, and let's look at our text. Jesus uh, talks about uh, this everybody mattering to God, and he, he launches in this Sermon on the plane to this very, very difficult passage about how we're to be towards those who have been hurtful to us. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. So you who are listening, that's a quite a strong word where we we get the English word acoustic from, it literally means to you who are attentive and who really want to be disciples. This is for disciples. This isn't for run-of-the-mill people who are just coming to church for entertainment. This is if you want to take up your cross and follow me. That's who this is for. If someone, verse 29, slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them, without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, Because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Have some family resemblance. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down. Shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I'm going to stand a little bit like this because my screen is a bit dodgy. So I I may may have to look back a bit. So I'm not ignoring or being rude to you guys. I'm just, okay. Thanks for the mercy, Veronica. So, you know, I I was raised in the church and... um, You know, during my junior high years, I was kind of in these stages between backsliddenness and being really on fire. So one week I'd be really on fire for God, and the other week I'd be backslidden. One of those times I was on fire, I read this passage, and I was being bullied by this guy. And I was in grade 7, I think he was grade 9 or 8. Big guy, twice my size, almost. I mean, he was a big guy. So I thought, well, I was reading this, and I thought, well, I'll try that. I'll try what Jesus said, you know. Because normally, you know, you're grade seven, you're snarly, and you, you know, you you find a way to fight. And and so, I, I first prayed for him, and I felt this compassion for him. I all of a sudden thought, I, this guy. I just I felt this brokenness and his pain. So, so every time he he was you know and he. He wasn't physically violent, but one time I was, I I had a bunch of books, and I was climbing a set of stairs at the school, and he came down the stairs, saw me, and went, woo, and he gave me this, like, hockey body check, and my books went flying everywhere, and, you know, and I felt so humiliated and embarrassed, and, but I just chose to be, to be kind to him, to be gentle to him, every time I saw him, to smile at him, and long story short, within the, within, by the end of the year, he was my friend, and he was my bodyguard, seriously. Like anybody pick, I mean, I felt safe like around him. And I realized that nobody had shown this guy respect and because he hadn't had that, he didn't know how to give it. You're you're only disrespectful to people if you haven't been respected yourself. So it it was an interesting experience for me. Now, that is not a prescription for every situation. That people face or that your kids face. And if I knew my kids were going through that, I probably would handle a lot differently. So I'm not, I'm giving you a, 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 a description of how this played out at one point in my life. And I think that's the point of this passage is it's, dis, it's descriptive of different ways that we can live out a principle that Jesus is trying to get at here. So we're going to take some time to do that because what Jesus is not saying in this radical inclusion and how far we take this, he's not saying that we enable bullies or have no boundaries or that we ignore human and civil rights, including our own, or that perpetrators aren't punished for criminal behavior. Or that force is sometimes uh, isn't unnecessary to restrain evil. Sometimes force is needed in a fallen, broken world. And it's always interested me, pardon me if I'm a little bit cynical here, but it's always interesting to me how that, the, that as a result of the fall, the world was so violent. And uh, because it was so violent... God wiped everybody out. <laughs> I don't know. I just my head just can't get around that. And uh, so, so all that to say is sometimes force and violence is needed to restrain violence, and it's hard. I was once listening to a pacifist speak on the Second World War, and people said to her, "You mean we shouldn't have confronted Hitler?" And she said, "Well, what happened by then is we had lost too many wars." decades before and that by the time Hitler came along it was immoral to fight him and it was immoral not to. And sometimes we just are in those times, aren't we? As a human race. So let's remember the, the big picture here. We're looking at Luke and Luke of course is we believe probably one of the only Gentile writers of the Bible who was not a Jew and God's plan for restoration was that he would establish a meeting place for heaven and earth. And in the Old Testament, it was the temple. But in the New Testament, that meeting place between heaven and earth was Jesus, which has now been given to us as his body. We are now the meeting place between heaven and earth. Now, with that happening, there's conflict because there's evil. That's being confronted in that meeting place. so this passage is all about dealing with evil in our world, dealing with suffering, dealing with those who who hate and so Luke's message is a message of radical inclusion that it's not, the gospel is not just for Jews but for Gentiles. It's not just for men but for and the early church, as I said, so lived that out, not only by what I told you earlier, but by the radical inclusiveness of women in leadership. Did you know that Paul trusted his greatest masterpiece, a letter, the letter of Romans? I just learned this from N.T. Wright, to a woman. Her name was Phoebe. She took that letter to Rome, and he, he instructed her to not only read the letter to the church in Rome, but to be on hand to explain it. To teach it. To expound on it. The only reason Paul told women not to teach in other places is that he hadn't been trained enough. He said, don't teach until you've been taught. Sit and get your teaching first. Then you can teach. And there was one kind of domineering woman in one particular situation in Ephesus that Paul had to deal with. But Paul used and involved women in leadership and teaching all through the, the Gospels. and or, or All through the letters of the, the New Testament. So that was an important part of inclusiveness. And of course, this was really on Luke's mind when he, he writes the Gospel of Luke. And it's not just for the wealthy, but for the poor. Not just for adults, but for children. Not just for the righteous, but for the unrighteous or sinners. And not just for our friends, but for our Calgary. Calgary, <laughs> Calgary Flames, to be specific. I like the rest of Calgary. I just don't like the flame. <laughs> and um, so the, this good news is for those who've hurt us, who've, who've offended us, who who've disrespect us, who persecute us, who oppress us and abuse us. But if grace is grace, it has to include them. Because if it excludes them, as we will see in our text today, It's not grace. Jesus really brings that out today. If it doesn't include our enemies, it's not grace. And can I give you a little insight, a little spoiler? A lot of those enemies show up within the church. Okay? Probably most of the pain I've suffered this way has not been from outsiders. It's been from insiders. Right? Because we're a bunch of porcupines, right? Huddling together on a cold winter's night, and we poke each other. So then we want to go out and freeze in the dark. But I digress. So interpreting this text, we must first of all realize that it is is not a um, prescriptive um, outline about what to do all the time. Jesus is giving examples Of living out this principle of overcoming evil with good. That the how do we overcome evil with good? I love what Martin Luther King said. You cannot. You can spray us with your fire hoses. You can beat us with your batons. But you cannot make us hate you. Because you cannot drive out hate with hatred, but with love. And you cannot drive out darkness with darkness, but with light. The principle of overcoming evil with good. Because when you hate your enemy, you become like them. And you become them. You become your enemy when you hate your enemy. So the interpretive key of this passage is how do we when we are in situations where we have an enemy, perceived enemy, in our mind, and I'm going to argue, another spoiler, I'm going to argue in a minute, that the real enemy is here. That those, those ones out there just expose the here. So who is my enemy? Remember, remember that story where the, the religious leader said, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus told him, love your neighbor as yourself, which was part of it. And he said, who's my neighbor? And by the end of the parable, the question was, who are you being a neighbor to? Right? Not who's my neighbor, but who are you being a neighbor to? And I think it's similar here. Who's my enemy? Well, who are you being an enemy to? (laughs) Think about that. So let me give you a history of animosity. History of animosity is since the fall, from the fall, there was this broken relationship between God and us. And we immediately became hostile towards God and hid from God, even though God still looked for us and reached out for us. I think what happened with the, with the, the fall, this, the judgment was what happened to us. It wasn't God smacking us. It's what happened to us, is that we became hostile towards God and towards each other, and it caused broken relationships. There was enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, as God told Eve. And this played out, of course, with her sons, Cain and Abel, with Abel being murdered by Cain, and Abel's blood crying out from the ground for justice. And the world became violent, incomprehensible violent. I didn't mean to be facetious. But it's pretty bad if God feels that he has to start all over again. That's pretty bad. I mean, incomprehensible. I was, I was going to, when I was doing my sermon notes, I wrote out incomprehensible violence, but then I went, wait a minute. No, I live in 2019. That's not incomprehensible violence. It is still here, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. In our own city, in our world. We just came out of Rwanda two decades ago, three decades ago, right? And what's happening in Syria, you know, I mean, it's, it's with us. But it's, it seems to have so taken over the, the earth in the flood that God just said, let's start over. So after the flood, God called Abraham to be a special people with his family who would reveal who God is to the nations of the world and be a blessing that they would be a special people. But it wasn't long till they began to realize that they were the blessed and special. And if people didn't treat them properly, then things didn't go well for those people. And they saw that happen to Egypt. So they crea- it created this us and them. The enemy is them. And we're the good guys. And as Israel progressed in their understanding of the enemy... They saw the Egyptians as the enemy at first and then later it was the Assyrians and the Philistines and the Mennonites and I mean Midianites and then and as they moved on the prophets began to make some startling announcements that God's redemptive story would include the the Philistines and it would include the Assyrians and it would include the Egyptians they would be part of the family and they're going what? And they begin to discover that, as far as God was concerned, some of the enemy was among them, their own idolatry and injustice towards each other. Somebody mentioned Isaiah 58 this morning. That was God's, just was so hurt by the way they were treating each other, right within the family of God. So the enemy became much more murky and sinister and kind of gray than we first realize. It's not those guys. It's not the liberals, the alt-right, the lefties, the Dems, the NDP, or the Muslims, or the conservatives, or the pro-choice, or the pro-life, or the Sojis, or the rednecks, or fill-in-the-blank. The enemy's here. By the time we get to the New Testament, the concept of the enemy radically alters where both good and evil, as Solzhenitsyn said, lies right in the middle of our hearts. There's this line between good and evil that's not between east and west, but down the middle of every human heart, and said. And this is why we need the gospel. Because the gospel is the only thing that can deal with this. You know, when Samuel Champlain came to the shores of Canada, he discovered such beauty among First Nations people. He said, and he wrote that in many ways, First Nations culture was superior to their Western culture. But he said there was one thing they couldn't, they couldn't get a handle on. They could not break the cycle of revenge. That when one village would attack another one and plunder, the other village felt that the only way to resolve that was revenge. They had to get justice back. And so there was this endless cycle of violence and counterviolence. And so on that regard, they needed the gospel. We don't apologize for bringing the gospel. We apologize for bringing all the other crap, our colonialism and our our Western system of values that plundered them. So let's look at some sample enemies and responses. The word for enemy in the Greek is a hostile, someone who's openly hostile towards you. And they've demonstrated by action or attitude that they hate you. They're your adversary. They're opposed to you. They don't want you to be blessed. They're opposite of what agape is. Love is wanting your best interest at heart. They have your best interest at heart. But they rather desire your harm or your demise. And this is often described in the imprecatory psalms, isn't it? I read an imprecatory psalm this morning. It's kind of ironic. My story on loving your enemies. And it's all like, let your children be beggars beggars fatherless and your wife be a widow and you blankety blank you know I mean Psalm 109 if you have a chance read it it's like that was really ironic like, for for that to be my psalm this morning but I think God was in it and I'll explain why in a minute so who'd ever be like that towards you you're such a wonderful person you're so beautiful how could they ever treat you like that well it happens for inexplicable reasons, people choose to be your en- enemies. Usually, offense is never attended, intended, but it's taken. That's usually how offense happens. It's usually never intended, but it's offense taken. You say something or you don't say something, or you look at somebody or you don't look at them, or some kind of offense occurs, or there's a misunderstanding, or you're in an argument, and you know, it's like me with Kathleen. Sometimes she'll say, You're angry, and I'll go, I'm not angry. Right, so sometimes we're very unaware of our body language and how we're coming across. Um, That's why marriages are good, by the way, for stuff for self awareness. So maybe uh, you wear a hijab, and so your schoolmates assume you're a terrorist, or you have a different skin color, so people assume you're lazy. Or you're here to take over our country. Or other preconceived stereotypes. You're perceived as the teacher's pet or dad's pet, like Joseph was. Jealousy, you're a threat to people's well-being. And I'll argue, as I said earlier, more than that, that often these enemies happen in the family of God because of our proximity. And I think because of our expectations of the family of God. What is it? Blessed are those who expect nothing. They'll they'll never be disappointed. But when you come into the church, you know, this is the family of God. I remember uh, Ian Proven, the Old Testament professor, doing a lecture one time on the family of God. And you know what his, his illustration was? Joseph and his brothers. The family of God. So that's why so much of the New Testament is devoted to our own relationships with each other. Working out conflicts, forgiving one another, showing compassion, bearing with. There's a lot in the New Testament about enduring one another. Bearing with one another. Paul said to the Ephesians, walk worthy of this calling in all humility, gentleness, patience with endurance. Working hard at keeping the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Why? Because this is the meeting place between heaven and earth. And this is where we're engaging and confronting the powers. It's right here. It's not up in some heavenly realm where you run outside somewhere and yell at demons. It's right here. There's so much at stake. That's why we're doing the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course. It's not some cute little course to make us all feel better and have little fuzzy-wuzzies. It's it's warfare. We're dealing with generational stuff. Discipleship 101. So, important presuppositions here. And when we talk about our enemies and how to respond to them is first of all, the Jewish people had an understanding of lament, so don't talk about loving your enemies and don't talk about uh, forgiving without understanding lament. if you don't own your pain and you're not real about it, then your forgiveness will be shallow and it'll be not real and 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 people will smell it basically secondly. The writer of Hebrews said to this said this it's not a choice between forgiving and not forgiving it's not a choice between loving your enemy and not the writer of Hebrews put it this way see to it which many people believe was a woman by the way wrote Hebrews see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God there's no author mentioned because she was a woman and wouldn't have gone very far back then See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. I'm going to read that again. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile defile many. So the choice is not be between forgiveness and not forgiving. It's not between loving your enemy or not loving your enemy. The choice is, is when you've been hurt or offended is will you receive the grace of God for you or refuse it. And lament is part of that process. Is going to your, your father and receiving grace and comfort and And the mercy that you need, uh, extending grace to yourself and giving yourself the right to be angry, the right to be hurt, the right to be sad or depressed. That's what I love about the Psalms. One third of them are about lament or crying. There's a whole book in uh, in the Bible called Crying Lamentations. What does that tell you about worship and our relationship with God? Extend yourself permission to feel those things. That's so important. And I really believe that when that happens, um, you you know, forgiveness is is made available. You can make forgiveness and mercy available as you receive forgiveness and mercy yourself. So Jesus goes on to say, now here's some examples of this overcoming evil for good. Uh, we read a little bit earlier, I, just, I missed a section here, I'll just quickly read it to you. He said, um, 20, 20, 20. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. That word bless means speak well of. Even when you're absent. I mean, no. when you're absent from somebody, it's easier to kind of be more, um, have more candor. But no, 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 when you're, when you're absent from them, that you, you bless them. And you pray for those who mistreat you. And of course, Luke is the one who writes about how Jesus prayed from the cross. Did you know Luke is the only one who records Jesus' prayer from the cross? Father, forgive them, for if they knew what they were doing, they wouldn't be doing it. They don't know what they're doing. Father, have mercy. And Stephen's prayer, Luke is the only one who recorded Stephen's prayer for Paul or Saul of Tarsus when he's being stoned and he's about to die. He says, Lord, don't lay this sin to their charge. And within a few short weeks, Saul of Tarsus was a follower of Jesus. I think Saul must have thought about Stephen Every day of his life. And so Jesus just gives. These are, these are descriptions. They're not prescriptions. There's not. You do this every time. You don't tell your child is being bullied. That they should be. They should enable the bully. And, and not stand up. And not get help. And deal with the boundaries. That's, that's not what he's saying. But the spirit of is finding ways to overcome evil with good. And the second thing, grace versus karma. We used to have an office next to the Fringe Festival. They're a great group of people, and they they loved us. It was so cool having a church in the Fringe Festival next to each other. And And in this complex we had on the drive we kept a manger that we used at Christmas time once a year. There was this manger with hay and, you know, wood, and it was down in the basement, and, and it was kind of their area, but they let us store it there. And, and they asked me, you know, you only use it once a year. Do you guys need it anymore? And I said, you know what, it's, it's okay. Just get rid of it. And so it was so cute. They went away, and a short while later they came back to us, and they were really sheepish, and they said, ah, we're not going to throw away the manger. It's just not good karma. We just feel like it's just not good karma. It was so cute. <laughs> I said, "Well, I'll burn it then." You know? <laughs> no, no, so, no, I didn't. I didn't. Just kidding. <laughs> so Jesus says, "If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. It's karma. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners know that. That's karma." Now, what's that word credit about? What's going on there? Is this some kind of earning thing? Well, I look that word up. I, I kind of do a Greek study every time I go through a text. And I notice that the word is charis, which means grace. So Jesus is saying, if you love those who love you, where's the grace? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who are good to you, where's the grace? Even sinners do that. So it's a sign that we haven't received grace. When the only people that we're good to are people who are good to us. Because grace trumps karma. And the net result, if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, where's the grace? Even sinners do that. But love your enemies. Here's the key. Here's, Here's the goal. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back then your reward will be great. In other words, if it costs you anything, you're working for a pretty good employer who pays good and recompenses. You're working for God here. This is kingdom work. He'll pay you. So that's what, You're not doing it for the reward, but as you seek and follow him, he's going to take care. He's, gonna, he's got your back. He's got your corner. He's with you in your corner, right? And... You will be children of the Most High. They will see God in a way they'd never see God otherwise. Because he's kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. That's what your father's like. People that despise and hate him, he's kind to them, protects them. So Eugene Peterson's I Love It's like having a posture of grace in your life, a posture of generosity. Air, can I, can I, can I give you a little rule for our church? Just a little rule. Air to the side of grace. Air to the side of mercy. Air to the side of generosity. When you're going, oh, should I do it? Should I do it? Should I? Should I? Should I? Not. Air to the side of generosity. Air to the side of grace. Air to the side of mercy. Remember my uncle, Dave, used to say that to me. He said, Gordy, if you're ever going to make a mistake, err to the side of mercy. (laughs) That's the God I follow. He errs to the side of mercy. He's so reckless in his love for us. So Eugene Peterson, I love this. Don't pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. Don't condemn those who are down. That hardness can boomerang. Be easy on people, you'll find life a lot easier. Give away your life, you'll find life given back. But not merely given back, given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way generosity begets generosity. Love that. And I'll give you one example. Does anybody know this building? It's a one-room schoolhouse in Pennsylvania. In 2006, was it, a man walked into the school, ordered everyone out except 10 schoolgirls. Charles Roberts, and he shot them. It was an Amish school, Pennsylvania, five girls died on the scene, five survived, but of course their lives would never be the same. And he was angry at God for allowing his daughter to die at birth years before, and he never forgave God. And he was his way, and when the police broke in, he shot himself. He was in the community. He was neighbors to these people. His family was neighbors to these people. By now, of course, school shootings were all too common, but this caught the world's attention. Do you know why? Because in the midst of their grief over this shocking loss, the Amish community refused to cast blame. They didn't point fingers. They didn't hold a press conference with attorneys at their side. Instead, they reached out with grace and compassion to the killer's family. The afternoon of the shooting, an Amish grandfather of one of the girls who was killed expressed forgiveness towards the killer, Charles Roberts. The same day, Amish neighbors visited his family to comfort them in their sorrow and their pain. Later that week, the Roberts family was invited to the funeral of one of the girls who'd been killed. And at his funeral, at Charles Roberts' funeral, Amish neighbors outnumbered non-Amish neighbors at the funeral. Incredible. There's actually a play going on in Vancouver right now. On, on that at the, uh, in, on Granville Island. In fact, I think there's two more showings. One's this afternoon, one's tonight. I know the Oscars are tonight, but I think it's after the Oscars. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, that's just one of so many stories I could tell you, right? We, we know. But you know, you know what that story is. That's Jesus. That's the, that's the gospel. That's the cross. That's how God won his victory. That's how God, love always wins. So the reason this is so powerful is because this is a vivid demonstration of the the good news and the character of God to our world. And it occurs when we as followers of Jesus find creative ways in grace to love our enemies, overcoming evil with good. That means dealing with the enemy inside, dealing with our enemies in the church so that we can be a reconciling community to the enemies outside. So for our ministry time, based on the definition given, who's an enemy in your life? And on a scale of 1 to 10, where are you on the grace scale? 1 being, I want nothing to do with them. And 10 being, you desire to show kindness to them, even if reconciliation hasn't happened yet. And based on your response to question 2, what is the next step? God's a gracious, gentle God. He's not asking Rome to be built in a day. What's the next step? And have people pray with you about it and have a way to process your anger and your hurt and your your grief. And can I add a fourth one? Where do you need to extend grace to yourself this this morning? Where you've been hurt, you've been wounded and you need to grieve and rage. Maybe you need to grieve and rage at God. Job did. Maybe Maybe there's nobody else you can feel like you can blame right now except God, like this guy. Where do you need to allow God's grace to extend you and say, oh, I know, child. It's a mystery, but I totally get your pain, your grief, and I'm in your corner." And nothing that's happened to you is going to be wasted. I'm going to to bring good out of it. The devil's going to pay. I have to believe that. I have to believe that. If I don't, the only thing left is revenge. It's not cool to love your enemies in our culture. Have you watched movies lately? Have you watched TV shows? Vigilantism is the way to go. And boy, I'll tell you, there's some good actors out there. I've been watching some Netflix shows, and boy, they're good at making a, a villain. And boy, when that villain gets it, I, 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 I check myself going, yeah, hit him again. Isn't that true? Or am I the only one? Okay, I come to the altar. I, I get saved. But we, we live in a culture where, where it's, it's, it's not cool. If you don't fight, you have to fight, you know. Be a man. Be a man. Remember Russell Peters? Be a man. I digress. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to be disciples. We want to be your followers. Whatever that looks like. And I pray for my dear sisters and brothers who are here today who are struggling with enemies, where there's broken relationships, where there's been hurt, either hurt offense given or if offense taken, where there's wounds, where we bring the, the wounds of our family of origin into the family of God and we hurt each other so badly. And so we're mindful of Paul's words. Walk worthy of the calling for, with which you're called in all humility and gentleness and patience with long suffering endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body, one spirit one hope to which we're called one Lord, one faith one baptism one God and Father of us all who is over us, in us all and through us all But to each of us has been given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. You are loved. You are worthy of respect. You are worthy of honor. You are a child of God. You're in God's image. And when you are disrespected, it is not according to the the natural order. It means that who's ever doing that is blind, doesn't see. They need help. They need more help than you do. They need more help than you do. They need mercy. They're blind. They need grace. So pray for them as God gives you grace. Pray for them. And then as the Spirit of God leads you and directs you, do good. Show kindness. Overcome evil with good. I trust you to figure that out because God is in you. I am not here to tell you what to think. I'm here to tell you how to think. And to just walk with the Spirit in this. Live it out. Holy Spirit, just breathe on this congregation. May we be community of reconciliation and unity and peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So our time's almost up. We need to uh, sign our kids out in a few minutes. But if you want prayer, if you want further prayer into some of the things that the Lord may have touched on, feel free to come for prayer or to turn to a friend that you trust. There's coffee and snacks at the back. Thanks those that Offered themselves to make that available. And God bless you. Have a great week. Walking as reconcilers and peacemakers. As the mature sons and daughters of God. Amen.